been a crazy, crazy week. Last week when I was gone was the kind of a beginning of a, a crazy week for me. I had a, a, a vigil that I went to for my brother's brother-in-law, whom I've known for 30, almost 40 years. And then on Friday, I did a, a memorial service for a little seven-year-old girl that passed away from our community. And that was a really hard one, you know? And uh, that was really tough because her, her parents, I, I know their parents, they were here for a little time. They're going to a Spanish church. But I remember about three years ago, he was sitting right over here on, one, on a Sunday morning and I did an altar call and he accepted the Lord that day. And he reminded me of that uh, when I was talking to him about that. So it was, it was kind of special for me, you know, to be there for them. And then the following day, came to another memorial from a good friend that passed away from our church. Uh, I had been here for a long, long time. And and it was just like, man, it's just hard, you know, a hard few days. And then that evening I did a wedding. And then yesterday I did another wedding. And so it's just been like going, going, going. And it's like, so I'm kind of glad to kind of be back to normal here. Um, to kind of just share with you and, and just uh, get back into the book of Romans. And so it's been a crazy week, but I, I'm just stoked to be here with you guys. And I just love you guys. I I just appreciate all your prayers and everything that you guys do in our body. Um, <laughs> so we're back in the book of Romans. We're still in Romans chapter 12. A couple of weeks ago when I was in this portion, I really, really, truly thought, that I was going to finish this chapter off. And if you were here, you know that that didn't happen as we were going. And man, I was kind of looking at the clock and looking what I had and just going like, you know what, let's just stop right here, you know. Uh, no need to continue on. But tonight, I really do believe that we will finish this chapter. Um, so with that said, turn to Romans chapter 12. I'm sure you're already there. So if you are already there, put a... A bookmark there or something. Hold your place there and go over to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> when I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about this chapter in Romans chapter 12, as I was going over it, studying it, it reminded me a lot of the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read to you a portion of that before we finish chapter 12, just so you could see the correlation that I saw, and I'm sure many of you guys have seen, um, in, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38 to the end of the chapter. I want to read this portion to you, and let's just see what, how we see the, all this in Romans. In verse 38, it says, For you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Verse 43. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if, any, and if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore... You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that word perfect that is mentioned here is not perfection or holiness as we sometimes think of perfect, but it speaks of, of one who is growing 
in godliness, one who is maturing in godliness, being complete in, in Christ. And so he says, I want you to be complete, just as our Father who is in heaven is complete. There's no lacking in him. And so here we, we, we see that just a small portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and we went through it last year, last summer, and what I got from it, part of it, <laughs> was that Jesus was not asking us to do the big things. He wasn't doing us to he wasn't asking us to do the big, spectacular, amazing things, things that were far fetched. What he asked us to do in the Sermon on the uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, what he was telling his disciples to do was to do the simple things, the humble things the practical things, the things that would definitely go against our nature, our human nature, the things that would be in line with our spiritual nature, something that would be totally opposite of what our inclinations are when we think of when somebody hurts us or does us wrong, our natural inclination is to get an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Our natural inclination is to punch somebody in the face if they punch us in the face. Trip them if they trip us. You know, just stuff like that. To hate them if they hate us. To love those who who are lovely and and not to love those who who don't deserve to be loved. No, he's, he's not asking us to do that. What he's asking us to do fits in line with the nature of, of who Jesus is. As he walked on this earth, He gave us an example to live by. He showed us what it meant to go against the grain, to go against your nature. What I have learned throughout my years as a Christian is that it is much easier to learn about the things of God than it is to do the things of God. Because when we read the Sermon on the Mount, and and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when people when they come to him and say, but Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And he says, I never even knew you. You did all the spectacular that you thought what I wanted, but I wanted the simple, the humble, the practical things. The things that I've asked you to do that would follow my nature. That's what he... And so it's much easier for me to just get up here and tell you and and, and teach this chapter, chapter 12, and say, go do it. much harder for me to to put my feet to to my faith and, and do it myself because every one of us struggles with this. And honestly, guys, as I was praying about this, I was looking at this, uh, thinking about our last study, thinking about this whole chapter, I'm thinking, man, oh man, Lord, this is hard. It's not complicated because as I read it to you, most of you, if not all of you, are going to say, right on, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I hear, I'm picking up what you're throwing down. I get it. And then you walk out these doors and you're going, how do I do that when somebody is on purpose wanting to hurt me and you're telling me to do something that I don't want to do? So, verse 19, or verse 9 of chapter, of chapter 12 of Romans says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. 
have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Simple enough, right? Hey, no biggie. These words are pretty clear for us. (laughs) They're not complicated words. They're, they're, they're structured in such a way where he gives us a positive and a negative or a negative and a positive. He says, hey, don't do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do that. Do it the way I've told you to do it. And if you do it this way, then you will be okay, basically is what he's saying. Because this whole chapter begins by him saying, hey, why don't you present yourself as a living sacrifice to God? He begged them to do that, to offer themselves and say, here I am, Lord. Take me, do with me whatever your perfect will is so I can know it. Because if I present myself to you, if I am conformed into your image in, in, in the renewing of my mind, then I will know what the perfect will of God is. Here is the perfect will of God, guys. If we read this chapter each and every day <laughs> for the rest of our lives, it will change us if you desire to do this. Here's the crux of this whole thing. You could read it and you can go through it and you could say, I could never be that. Why? Because it's so hard to put your guard down. It's so difficult to have people walk all over you and you know it and you're being kind to them. And he's telling us to do that. And yet he's telling us to be just like Jesus. That's what he's telling us to be like right here. This chapter exemplifies who Jesus was as he walked this earth. You know, Jesus didn't come to show us how to live a good life. He came to die for our sins. But in the process of him coming, he showed us what it means to live a spiritual nature. He showed us how to do that. He he, he didn't skirt around that. He, He was humble. He was meek. He had so much strength coursing through his veins, and yet he didn't use it the way I would have used it if I were God. If I had come down from heaven and I had all the, and these guys get on my nerves, that's it. You're done. See, that wasn't his nature, not one bit. And that shouldn't be my nature either, of wanting to hurt people when they've hurt me. That is so hard to do when people come against you. And so he starts off verse 14 where we left off. He says, bless those who persecute you. (laughs) It's like, no. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The word persecute means to put to flight, to, to drive away, to pursue, to follow, To make, to run, to flee. To make, to run, or flee. The Apostle Paul, who was writing this book, was once a persecutor of the church. He understands this verse here. When he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, he understands that because he was a persecutor. He was a really good persecutor at that too. He wasn't the only one that persecuted the church, but people hid from him. He, 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 he went after people, and they took flight, and they scattered. When the persecution came upon the church uh, at Jerusalem, the main hub, people started fleeing to other parts of the known world, away from not just Paul, but others. But Paul was like the big cheese there. He was the big kahuna, man. He was the one that, that kind of was, 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 was in front of everybody going, I'm going to get as many. He probably had a belt with so many notches on there, and he was proud of it. He made people scatter and take flight. He put fear in people's hearts because he was a persecutor. 
So persecution literally means to have someone come at you or come after you. Someone who, who is coming against you in an effort to do you harm, in an effort to silence you or, or, or to put you away in that sense. That, that's what persecution means here. When, when he says, bless those who, who come against you, bless those who, who are trying to silence you and, and put you away, bless them. Bless them. It's like, no. Why would you ask that of us, Lord? You know, we have a great example of something like this, and it concerns Paul. In Acts chapter 9, if you know the story, when he gets converted, and he falls to the ground, and, and his eyes are blinded, and they, they, they take him into Damascus. And there's a perfect example of a disciple of Jesus by the name of Ananias. He was to go and pray for this persecutor of the church. Jesus told him, go and pray for Saul. And he even tells Jesus, do you know who you're telling me to go pray for? This guy like puts fear in people's lives and hearts. And you're asking me to go and pray for him. And he says, go. And he tells him exactly what to do. He tells him what street he's on, whose house he's at. He says, go and you will find him. Now, Ananias, knowing that Paul couldn't see he could have gone there and given him a taste of his own medicine that guy's, that guy's blind he doesn't know who Ananias is come in with a little stick a little switch hey Paul yeah what, what, what was that he can't hear see but, but, but he didn't he didn't say hey go pay him back for all that he's done for, to me in my church he says, no, I want you to go and pray for him that he may receive his sight. That he may do something that, that and again, Ananias is saying, he's, he's telling him, go do something that is against what you really want to go do. Go bless him. Go pray for him. I don't want you to pay him back. I want you to bless him. I don't want you to curse him or beat him or any of that stuff. I want you to go do something that is that is against your natural inclination to go do. I want you to go and, and pray for this guy who's been attacking the church. What a humble thing to go do for Ananias. And yet he went and did it because Jesus told them, this is what I want you to do. And guys, when we read this chapter, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, when we read through the Word of God, He is asking us to do these things. He cannot make us do it, but He is telling us, this is the way you ought to live. If you call yourself a, a follower of Me, then I've given you direction and I've given you instruction of how to live this life if you call yourself a Christian. You are to bless them. You are to, to, to pray for them. This should be a practical thing for the Christian to go do. It is a practical thing. It's not hard when we read this right here and he says, and it's very easy to read, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. That's not a hard saying. You know, when people say, oh, I just don't understand the Bible. This is not one of those hard times, right? It is very specific. It's giving us instruction. And he's asking you and I to do that even today. Those people who have come against you. Again, you know, I, I guess I got I, I to... Don't, don't do something to shame the name of Jesus and then when they come against you, you go, oh, I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian. It's like, no, you're, you're not being nice to them either <laughs> in the way you're coming across. I just got to speak the truth. It's like, but there's no love behind it. And you're being attacked because you're just coming at people instead of doing it in a humble, practical, simple way. I I, I know that there's times that we have to stand up against people. We see that in Jesus' life against the religious Pharisees. But by and large, man, he, he was meek, he was humble. He, he, he exuded grace everywhere he went and love, and people were drawn to him. 
It was the religious leaders that were, that were not drawn to him. But you know, we're, we're being asked to do these practical things given the spiritual nature that we proclaim to have. If we have that spiritual nature, then we can do these things. As hard as it might be for you and for me to do, if we proclaim to be a Christian and have the spiritual nature that our minds have been renewed by the transforming of our minds and, and all that, then, then this is something we, get, we can do. And I know some would think, but, but when do we stand up for our rights? When do, we, when do we get to say, it's not fair, it's not right, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight against this? You see, it would be easy for me to say, well, maybe you can do that when, when it, it, it doesn't have to do with your Christianity. You know? But then again, when are you not to act like a Christian? Is, is it in civil matters? Is it in family matters? Is it in work matters? Is it in personal matters? You know, it's between you and somebody else. God, you don't have to be in this one here. I'll take care of this. Is, is, is it when people don't know that you're a Christian? <laughs> that you can stand up for your rights in that sense? Because honestly, guys, I've been battling this for a while. <laughs> as, I, as I'm reading this going, gosh, Lord, when do we? And yet you're telling us here that we should really humble ourselves. Back, back, back in, in Matthew, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, it says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my namesake. Again, understand, they're saying this falsely against you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, if, if you are not being, if, if you're doing what's right and humble and practical and, and simple, all these things, and people are coming against you and saying false things about you, then you're being persecuted. Not because you've yelled at somebody and now they're yelling at you or not because you came against them and now they're coming against you. It's like, wait a minute, you weren't supposed to do that in the first place. So we are to bless those who persecute us, who truly persecute us. It says, bless and do not curse. And then in verse 15 and 16, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Because Christianity is not easy, <laughs> the easy thing to do would be to isolate ourselves from others so that we don't, we're not getting hurt by anybody. We, we, we are to separate ourselves, but we are not to isolate ourselves. In, in other words, we are to put ourselves out there. We are to pour ourselves out to other people. We are to give up ourselves to others. Give ourselves up to others. Th this is what it means when he's talking about getting into the trenches of life with your brothers and sisters. But I also think that he, he can use this or we can be used in this manner to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, even with those who aren't in the church. To be able to empathize with others, which means that we can understand them, we can have compassion or have understanding for them, have compassion for them, have sympathy for them. When they're up, we're up. We're rejoicing with them. And when they're down, we grieve with them. We're, we're down with them. And this takes being involved in other people's lives. And I know that oftentimes we seclude ourselves. We separate ourselves in that sense. We isolate ourselves with them. Because it's like, I could barely handle my own life. I don't want to handle your life. But yet we're being told time and time again that we are to to watch out for the other's best interests, to be there for one another. You know, it, it is great when we get to rejoice when somebody is rejoicing. It's not always easy to weep with those who weep. 
Because it's not always convenient for us to weep with those who weep. Oftentimes when you're weeping with somebody, man, it, it, it's a downer. It's heavy. It weighs on you. And you still have to like do your own life. But both rejoicing and weeping can be a drain on us. When, when, when somebody puts themselves out there and gives themselves to somebody else, someone who is more concerned for others than themselves, it, it, it does. It, it, gets, it gets tiring at times. And yet Paul tells us in Philippians 2.4, it says, let each one of you not only look out for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Earlier in that portion of Scripture in chapter 2, Paul said that we are to be like-minded with one another. And he says the same thing here as he's talking about rejoicing and then weeping. And he says, be of the same mind towards one another. It's that same word that he used in Philippians in, in verse in chapter 2, verse 2, to be like-minded, to be one of accord. One accord. It's the same, same word that he's using here where he says, be of the same mind, and that means to be in harmony with them. To be in harmony towards one another means that, that you're going with their flow. That you, you've come alongside of them and you're going through their ups and downs right with them. You, you've come alongside of them. You're thinking more highly of, themsel- of, of others than, than of, of, of yourself. This is what it means to be poured out. And Paul was one who, who continually poured himself out to, to people. When he shares with us all the trials and tribulations and everything, all the persecution that he went through in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, of all these things, that he, and then he says at the end of that portion, and on top of that, the concerns that I have for the church. So he was always concerned for other people. He, he, he ran himself ragged in, in, in just serving the Lord. And I know that in this day and age, it's like, but what about me? <laughs> when do I get mine? When do I get to rest? <laughs> and yet Paul covered that in Philippians 2.4 when he says, well, look out for your, best in- for your interest, but you're only doing that so that you can pour out to other people. Make sure you're okay so that you're not being a burden to someone else. But again, sometimes we think, well, I just, when, when, do, when do I get to be, when do I get my me time? <laughs> you know, when, when, when can I just be, you know, self, self-absorbed? It's like, well, um, that's not what you're called to. You're not called to be self-absorbed. You're called to be pouring out into other people's lives. That's what we've been called to do. We've been called to look out for the other's best interest. And, and really the only time to be able to think about ourselves is how can I be more like Jesus? <laughs> how, 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 can I, how can I do what Jesus has asked me to do? I want to, you know, if, if we're going to be self-absorbed in that way, it's like I want to be more like him. And so I have to do what he wants me to do. The Christian life is truly about others. It's not about ourselves. Just like Jesus, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Paul, Paul is saying, be in harmony. Don't, don't, don't be high-minded in this verse. Don't be high-minded. Be humble. Don't, don't overestimate yourself. Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. <laughs> Verses 14, 15, and 16 in the Amplified goes like this. It says, Blessed or bless those who persecute you, who are cruel in their attitude towards you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy, and weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, but readily adjust yourself to people. 
things and give yourself to humble tasks. Never overestimate yourself or be wise in your own conceit. That's pretty plain and simple again. The instructions that he is giving to us. He, 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 is, he is asking us that whether you're ministering to people in the body or outside the body, this is what we ought to be doing. This, this, is, this is our, our instructions. That we wouldn't be snobbish or high-minded. I like that. <laughs> Exclusive. But readily adjust yourself to people. Give yourself to humble tasks. Never overestimate yourselves. And then he get, gets going here in verse 17. 17 and 18. It says, Do not repay evil for evil. Does it say that in your, own, in your Bible too? Or is it just my Bible that says that? <laughs> it's like, I wonder if everybody else's Bible. Or is he just telling me that? <laughs> I'm sure it's in your Bible, right? Okay, yes, okay. I thought it was maybe only me that he's speaking to here, but it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Wouldn't it be easier if he would have said, Hey, if you want to repay somebody, you just go on with your bad self. Do unto others and then run. Before Jesus in the Old Testament, the law did say, hey, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You can love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was the Old Testament. But Jesus came to show love, mercy, and grace. And see, sometimes, even in my own wickedness here, I want that eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth. But you know what? I really enjoy his love and mercy and grace towards me. And I am glad that he is not paying me back and that I have received all these things in the New Testament. I really enjoy the the new covenant. I am glad that we are not in the old covenant. Most of us wouldn't even be here. We'd probably be dead or in jail or whatever because we just took it a little too far anyways. Why not? Why not? It felt good. You see, he came to show love, grace, and mercy, not just to those who deserved it, which were like none, but he showed that love, mercy, and grace to those who didn't deserve it. And that's me and you. So, So when I think about the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth, I'm kind of glad that we're, we're not living in that and that we are living in this time. And yet he's asking me to do what he has done in his life and he's given me his spirit to live inside of me that is Jesus Christ in me and says, in me you can do these things. It's not impossible to do. They're just difficult for us because we don't like them. First Peter 3, 9 also says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, blessings. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So Peter, it's like, man, it's just Paul. No, Peter also said that too. And Peter was one of those guys like, like us that, man, we, he, you know, they come after Jesus. He takes out his sword and cuts the guy's ear off. And Jesus says, it's not time for that no more. And so he understood what it means when he wrote that. And it's like, no, instead, bless. Knowing that that's what you've been called to. Guys, we have been called to be a blessing to other people. Not just to those who are in the church, but those outside the church. We are called to bless people. Isn't that amazing? We get to bless people. We don't have to be a, a downer to people. We can bless people. That, that, that's what we've been called to do. And he says, in doing so, you inherit a blessing. It's not so much for them, even though they get blessed, but you get blessed as well because you are blessing other people. And so he says, don't repay evil for evil. 
bless them instead. There is never a time that we should repay evil for evil. That word evil has words like bad, harm, ill, and wicked. Those are associated with the word evil. We are never to repay bad, harm, evil, ill, or wicked for bad, harm, evil, or bad, harm, ill, and wickedness. We're never to do that, ever. He never tells us. I I, I do love the fact that the Bible, when it tells us not to do something, he always tells us what we should do. It's not vague in that. It's pretty clear. He says, have regard for good things. The word good means beautiful, noble, valuable, (laughs) virtuous, honorable. The, the, The Amplified puts that portion and says, but take thought for what is honest and proper and noble, aiming to be above reproach in the sight of everyone. That is our aim. That is what we should be doing continually, all the time. Not just for a week (laughs) or a month or until you get your own way. It is a continual thing that we have been asked to do. This is our life. This is the way we conduct ourselves all the time. It says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, some might think, hey, there's the loophole. If it is possible, it is not possible to live peaceably with some people. You're right. It's not. It's not always possible to be at peace with people. But he's not telling them, hey, they need to be at peace with you. He says, no, as much as depends on you. You do everything possible in, in, in your life to be a blessing to them, to be at peace with them. The contingency here is not th- that it's not possible. He is saying, don't be the one that causes the chaos. Don't be the one that causes the, the, the uproar. Don't be that person. Do all you can. Be very, very diligent to bring about peace with all the people that you are with. Every one of them. (laughs) Because I know that some of us are like, yeah, everyone but that person. The one that you're thinking about right now, you're going, I can't. It's like, well, I, I, I know that he says, if it is possible. But I know, I think there's a scripture somewhere that says, I don't know, something about, in Christ, all things are possible. I, I know I found it somewhere before. I think most of you guys know that one. Yeah, there it is, man. See, I, I can do all things through Christ. Or who strengthened me? Or all things are possible. It, it, it's somewhere in there, right? 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, it doesn't say possible in there. But it does say all things, right? Yeah, so okay. I knew it was somewhere in there that, that we can do all things through Christ. It is possible. It is possible to live at peace. We, we, we really can't make people be at peace with us. But we're, we, we don't have to add fuel to any fire. There's a few Proverbs that I wanted to read to you. In, in, in Proverbs 15, 1 and 2, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of the fool pours forth foolishness. Proverbs seventeen fourteen, The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Proverbs 26, 20, and 21. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. As charcoal is to the burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man who kindles strife. 
He tells us time and time again, you have the power to bring peace in just about every situation in your life. Just about every situation. Even though you can't control other people's lives, you can be the one that brings the peace into that relationship, into that that situation. In verse 19, where it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It is never up to us to take vengeance. To be revengeful. It is not our place to settle the score. To make ourselves feel good or better. It is not our place to ask for sweet justice. (laughs) As much as we would like it to. Guys, that is God's department. Proverbs 20, 22 says, Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Deuteronomy 32, 35 says, Vengeance is mine, and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. It is God's department to take care of those people who come after you. When we take things upon ourselves to pay back or to get even, we end up in sin ourselves. That's where we end up at. We end up being the one that's sometimes perpetuating it, letting it go on instead of just squashing it and saying, I'm just going to stop. We end up being just as cruel and mean and brutal as a perpetrator is. And then there's really no difference between them, between you and them, us and them. God has promised to fight our battles all the time and to stand up for us. But we need to give Him room and we need to give Him time to work. Because when we jump the gun, we are in direct, compliance against the will of God. We are in direct compliance against the the will of God because this whole chapter right here has given us plain instructions of what we are to do as Christians. We are never encouraged in the New Testament scriptures to be mean, to be rude, to be spiteful, to be condescending, on and on. Whatever <laughs> whatever else you can fit there. We're never encouraged in the New Testament to do that. Because it goes against the nature of Jesus. I, I found an interesting proverb as I've been going through Proverbs. <laughs> I've always thought it was interesting. I don't I don't know how to feel about this proverb, but it's Proverbs twenty four, seventeen and eighteen. It says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displeases him and he turn away his wrath from him. Because I don't know how you feel when when you see justice served on someone who you're thinking, you got your own, buddy. You almost want to smile <laughs> and say, thank you, God. And God's going, I don't like that. I don't like that you're happy that your enemy has just fallen. You should have been praying for him. You should have been wanting better for him than wanting evil because you've become just as evil as he has. And so it's it's a hard scripture because it's like, but gosh, Lord, can't we just like grin a little bit? Yes, do one of those. He says, no, it, 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 might, it, it will displease him if we do that. And, and, and so he finishes off by saying, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And it's like, fire is good on his head. No. 
He, he, he is actually quoting um, verse or uh, Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. Once again, he is asking us to do the opposite of what is our natural inclination. If your enemy is hungry, then I, I want you to feed him, he says. The, the person who has come against you, the person who has used you and, and talked evil about you, if, if he ends up hungry, I want you to be the one that feeds him. If he is thirsty, then I want you to be the one that brings him a cup of water and says, here. For, for doing so, he says, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And, and, and there's a, 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 a tradition, or, or a, not a tradition, but it's a, it's a story that goes along with that. Because you can look at it in two different ways that the, the, the burning coals on his head would be that his conscience would not be able to get away from how nice you have been treating him. It's almost like that saying to kill him with kindness. Because you're being so kind, their mind is like, oh, why are they so nice to me? But it also has the tr- tr- tradition that back then, because people didn't carry around matches or, or, or lighters or stuff like that, that people always had their coals burning for cooking or to keep warm. And if your enemy, for some reason, his coals went out, and you knew that, and they carried the, this thing and carried it up on their head, you would be able to put some burning coals on his head and once again bless him. It's like here. Keep warm. Go home and take care of your family. Again, it, it, it just kind of kind of doesn't seem right. But that's what he's asking us to do. To bless those. If they don't have something, then give it to them. If they're hungry, if they're thirsty, if they're cold, <laughs> give them what they need. Take care of them. In this last verse, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We have two great examples of someone who, who, who wasn't overcome by the evil that was perpetrated against them, but they overcame evil with good. And we see that in Jesus when he was crucified. When they are nailing him to the cross, when they have hung him on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. It's almost like he's saying, Lord, I don't want you to hold this against them. And then we see this in Stephen when he was stoned. And it says that he knelt down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He didn't didn't say, Lord, I can't wait till you pay them back. He says, Lord, please, please don't, don't hurt them because of this. Evil had come upon them and they weren't overcome by the evil. In, in the midst of, of the wickedness and the ugliness of the people that killed Jesus and killed Stephen, they said, Lord, please don't hurt them. Don't put this out against them. They were, to, they were able to overcome evil with good. And as I w- I've been looking at and studying for the last month or so, this chapter, chapter 12 of Romans, it is an amazing, amazing chapter. And one that we need to heed, take heed of. We would do well to do what it says. Because I could guarantee you, you will never go wrong by doing what it tells us to do. You will never go wrong. People might look at you and say, why are you such an idiot that people are just walking over you and you keep on blessing them? Well, because Jesus has asked me to. I, I, I don't know if there's ever a time when God says, okay, you, you don't, you're done. You don't have to go through it no more. Maybe when we take our last breath. But when people are truly persecuting you, we're not to revile back. We're not, we're, we're not to fight back in that sense. And that's really hard in this day and age, isn't it? But then again, Paul, he didn't have it any easier than we do. He had a rougher, more rough than we did, than we do. 
It's always been hard for Christians, guys, and it will get harder. <laughs> and that's okay. We've been called to this. Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation, but be a good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so when we do what he has asked us to do, then our Father who is in heaven, he will reward us in that time. And so, there you go. <laughs> Read chapter 12 <laughs> again and again. When you think, ah, oh, I can't do this, read it again and say, okay, Lord, how do I do this in, in you, in Christ? He will give you the strength. He will give you the wisdom. If you're struggling tonight with some of these issues, we'll have prayer people up here that will pray for you. I think in the last couple of weeks, I've directed so many people to this portion of Scripture because of what they're going through. And it's really easy for me to direct them there. It's a lot harder for them to live it because they're literally going through hellish times and God is still asking them to be Christ-like. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we read your word, it's, it's plain, it's simple. It's not complicated at all, Lord. You, you, you made it that way so that we could understand it, Lord. And yet, what you're asking us to do in this chapter goes against every fiber of our flesh. And yet, Lord God, we're to put to death the flesh. We're not to let it rise up and control us, Lord. We're to, to crucify it. Just like you, Lord. And when they crucified you, Lord, those people who did that awful act, you asked it. Father would forgive them. And you showed us a great example. Because when people come against us, Lord, we have to pray the same way. Lord, forgive them. And we're to do it, Lord, with with a love that, that's without hypocrisy. And so Lord, help us as we get to know you better and walk with you closer. And God, you would truly, Lord God, just help us to be more like you each and every day. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are going through really hard times right now. And they're looking at these scriptures and they're wondering, how is it possible? And I pray that they might be able to press into you a little closer, Lord. That you would show them how to do it. Because you've asked us to do these things, Lord. And we praise you and we thank you. Amen. That verse that Zeke was talking about earlier about uh, with God all things are possible. It's in Matthew 19 verse 26 and it's talking about there the rich man uh, going into heaven and it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of the needle and the disciples are asking then and how can anybody be saved at all? And he says, well, with man this is impossible. With Christ all things are possible. And that word all there, just like everywhere else in the Bible, means all. So all things are possible with Christ. So overcoming evil with good may not be possible on our own, of our own minds, but certainly through Christ, all things are possible. So put our faith and our, our trust in Him.